Welcome to Rewilding Work. I'm Paul Miller. Rewilding Work captures stories and examples of how senior leaders and changemakers are transforming the world of work in their organisations. We'll talk to directors of HR, specialists in the future work, leaders of strategy in places like Adobe, Coca-Cola, Estee Lauder and Microsoft. And one big reason for launching this series is that if we change the world of work, we change the wider world. I remember talking to one senior leader at Walmart and they said that if they make a decision just to change a light bulb in one of their stores, the total effect of these small environmental changes really adds up year on year. Small changes, big impacts. And in this episode, we hear some powerful examples as we get into what ecology could mean in the world of work when it is deeply ingrained in the culture. I talked to Jesper Ambrosius, Director and Head of Environmental Centre of Excellence at Grundfos, one of the largest and most significant water pump manufacturers in the world. And before that, Jesper was Director of Sustainability and Circularity at Lego. He lives and works in Denmark. So do subscribe and like right here so you get alerted to each new episode. Now let's hear from Jesper. So Jesper, great to have you here. Um, I love company origin stories. So let's go back to 1945 and in Denmark, Paul Dewar Jensen couldn't find a pump of sufficient quality to irrigate a local farm. So as you do, he developed one himself in his basement. And after just five years, he was exporting water pumps internationally. And now Grundfos is the largest water pump manufacturer on the planet. And it believes, quoting from the website, that every drop of water contains infinite possibilities. I love that expression. And that water has the power to change the world. Now, was this mission to use water as what I would call a social and ecological change agent there from the start in 1945? And if not, when did that take off, if you like, inside Grundfos? Yeah, thanks so much, Paul, for having me. Yeah, it's an interesting story, of course, with Paul Dewey Jensen and, and, and the whole uh, foundation of Grundfos. He said back then, Paul, that the world is full of problems uh, that can be solved in a better way. And I think that engineering mindset was, was uh, propelled him back then and what is still propelling the, the company, so to say. Um, what we're trying to do, basically, and as our purpose, um, it was the purpose back then, and it is still the purpose, is to pioneer solutions to the world's water and climate challenges and improve the quality of life for people. Though that might not have been what he thought about when he wanted to create that pump. That's effectively, effectively what he did. And that's basically been the mission ever since. So you can argue that the climate challenge is, is has a higher priority now than it maybe back, did back, back then. But the general mission is the same. So maybe what we're trying to do now is a lot of the same things, but maybe priority uh, prioritizing it differently. But yeah, it's basically the same as it was back then. Um, so it's, 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 highly, it's highly motivating to, uh, to work for, of course, when you have a company that is so rooted in a, in a, in a, in a, in a mission like that. So so did he recruit people with a similar kind of outlook and philosophy? Because obviously you could create a water com- uh, pump company and 
create a great business, etc. But it but it strikes me that the DNA of your organization has got this commitment, this belief that water can provide beneficial change on our planet. And I'm just trying to understand, because this is, you know, the Second World War is just finishing. It's an entirely different era. Uh, the whole issue of ecology, which is now front and centre of everybody's life and every organisation wasn't. And has that remained, uh, did he retract people who, who were like him? Uh, and, and what does that feel like? Yeah, no, I think that is true. I think, I mean, again, a difference from back then to today, of course, is that it's it's a much bigger company with a much wider goal, so to say, uh, given the sheer size of, of Grundfos and being the world's biggest pump manufacturer and, and basically believe, believing there's there's a possibility in every drop, which is our, our brand manifesto. And I'll, I'll, I'll maybe, we'll maybe come back to that, Paul. But I think it's true. I mean, what I hear, and I, of course, I don't, I don't know it in details. But what I hear is that back then, he was mostly engaged in solving an issue that he could see a huge potential for, which is really making sure that we move water, basically, at, at a high level. So I think those he attracted back then were mostly engineer engineers. It was a highly you say dense engineer company. Uh, it, it still is, but it was even even more back then. Um, but I think again there was maybe a uh, maybe less than the actual engineering quality. More the the idea that we want to make a difference and we want to solve solve issues. And he saw this bigger issue that he could see. You know, it was was not only a Danish issue but a worldwide issue. So I think that kind of ambition and that being able to actually you know see. Uh, also across the borders and see it at a worldwide scale is something that is still driving the company. So I think a lot of what happened back then when new companies were created, they were very local and very local oriented. I think Paul from the beginning was very global in his mindset and quickly he began exploring the pumps and quickly Gornfoss became a, actually a global company has, and has been a global company for many years. Uh, and I think in this, I think it was in the seventies that then they also created a foundation actually to to help improve uh, life of of, of people uh, as well. So, so I think it's been there from the beginning with Paul as well. But I think back then maybe uh, without knowing detail, it, it, you know, started out as an issue that he could see a huge uh, potential mm. uh, for, for solving, and he could see it at, on a much wider scale than just Denmark. Yeah, and I think it's fascinating because obviously. Every organization, every workplace is, has been having to re-examine its relationship with the environment. And obviously, at the worst case scenario, you end up with greenwashing. But in a way, Grimforce is like the opposite of greenwashing. It's like where – so I think what's interesting about this story and why I wanted to have you on today is, is really – what's what can companies learn from the culture that was really there from the beginning and it strikes me that the relationship that grumforce has with nature is way beyond carbon reduction and net zero and i i wonder how you would describe that relationship and how does it affect the the work culture and I know you've only been at Grunforce for a, for a few months, so obviously you probably haven't picked it all up and ingested it fully. But how does it? How does the culture at Grunforce uh, feel feel through this ecological social change mindset? 
Sure. No, it's a great question. Maybe let's let me start with a uh, to read something out loud for you, Paul. If that's okay, we've actually just. Sure released a new brand manifesto uh, like a, a month into my stint so that was uh, that was neatly timing for me so let me just read that out and then I can then I can elaborate afterwards so basically we're saying that life cannot exist without it it is at once invisible and immensely powerful it moves mountains shapes valleys and defined borders and it is at the heart of everything we do Grundfos has always been driving or been driven by water to defy gravity with our first pump, to create efficiency and to save energy, and to help sustain humanity everywhere. So every day we go to work with an optimistic can-do spirit on a mission to protect, respect, and advance it, driven by the power it contains and the future it can shape. Grundfos, possibility in every drop. So that was basically what came out a couple of months ago. And I think it describes it well, Paul, because... You know, this idea of possibility in every drop, it speaks to more than pumps, of course. It, you know, it, 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 uh, it's also about how we treat water. It's, you know, meaning how we clean it, basically. Uh, it's about how we dis- distribute water, uh, in, in, especially in poor areas. And I think that shows, I think like any other company, we need to prioritize among these, uh, these topics because they're so huge and wide scale. But, but, but we do prioritize them highly. And I think one way I've seen it already is actually that, so now I work with environmental sustainability, which is, is of course, one area of sustainability. If there are many different areas of sustainability. We can come back to that. But the environment uh, piece, of course, is, is hugely important. But what I'm seeing is actually so many people reaching out to me in Gornfrost with all kinds of initiatives, ideas, projects, everything happening like in, in so not in silos but but basically because people are so passionate about this they 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 want real change so they're doing all i mean spending the free time but in small projects and then then showcasing it to me and, and trying to to uh, to uh, to make me see the the potential as well and, and maybe help them uh, advance that project or initiative or whatever it is and that, that's super clear to me at least that's that's so rooted in the organization in the culture that we're here to solve issues, and uh, and, and we're here to uh, to um, to impact the, the the climate in a positive way. So I'd love to hear one of those examples. Which things somebody's come to you with, and you went, "Wow." Yeah, no, actually, so just last week, uh, someone had uh, looked at a um, at an uh, opportunity where. Because we we take pumps back also, so let's say we we sell um, hundred pumps or whatever to a customer, uh, then some of these pumps might not be be right or might not actually fit or whatever they might be wrong. So we you know we can take these pumps back. What sometimes happens is that we don't reuse these pumps in an effective way. And very specifically, this guy had come up with an idea that we can actually reuse the motors from some pumps that we might not sell anymore, but the motors are actually generic. So you could reuse them for, for other models. We're not doing that for different reasons, you know, everything from financial reasons to, to logistic reasons. But he was actually estimating that we could reuse 3,500 motors in other pumps uh, without you know extra cost instead of us, us actually having to use virgin material and, and create new motors. That's just such a great example of where we can actually do good from an environmental perspective, but we would also save money. 
that's just one example. So, you know, this guy coming out of nowhere <laughs> and yeah. then uh, showcasing that to me. Uh, so I think that's uh, that's amazing. He, you know, he, he done it himself. <laughs> so uh... a- a- Absolutely. And one of the reasons and why I love this story of Grunfuss as, as I've started to understand it and, and talking to you today is that I'm convinced of one of the reasons for launching Rewilding Work is that work has capacity to change the world for the better. So many people are in work and so many organizations can make really profound impacts on the way we live collectively. And what I love about companies, organizations is is they get stuff done. They don't just come up with an idea. They go, okay, that's we can create a circular economy around this. We can make that change. So I know you use an index to measure sustainability, and I know that's obviously a big issue for a lot of people, and it links back to planetary health. Do, do tell me a little bit about your index. Yeah, sure. So, so that's an index that, we're, that we've, we've created that relates to so sustainability index, uh, and it mainly has three overall topics. So one would be the workplace and the well-being of, of uh, those who work in Gunfoss. The other is in environmental. And the last one is then water. So it's sustainability within those three topics, you could say. Obviously, the environment, environmental piece is the biggest one. And of course, also super important for us as, as a company and for what we do. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's interesting, right, that we also think about work as, you know, that, that should be sustainable as well. So it's not only about, you say, the physical working conditions we have on our many plants, of course, where it can be dangerous, of course, because of big machines and so on and so forth. It's a, Confos is a, is a, is a big uh, manufacturing company, but also actually the, the mental well-being of, uh, of, of colleagues. So, so we do make, measure that actually, and we do, do take it very seriously. So that's another way of being sustainable, right? It's, it's fine that we have, uh, or it's very important, of course, that we have the mission and the, the ambition that we do have. But if people do not feel, uh, feel good about the work or are stressed or whatever it is, then that's not sustainable either. So we, we're trying to, to, to measure sustainable sustainability, you say, in the broadest uh, possible uh, way. So that's, uh, and I think that's this index, uh, of course, it's a proxy for it, but I think it uh, it actually measures that uh, reasonably well. Mm. And one of the things I know that Grimforce is doing, and I've heard this from Microsoft as well, is that the further you can get into your supply chain to your suppliers, to your customers and change their practices, the more you can scale and leverage the change. How have you, as a company, been doing that because obviously it's a very complicated area but when you start to think about microsoft or grunforce as a connected network all the networks start to connect um so i'm really interested to hear how you how's how's that going and and and, and what progress you've made yeah that's completely true paul that is where you could say the biggest impact is and we can also mm-hmm. see that when we do our 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 estimates of that of course what we call scope 3 so basically activities outside of, of our uh, direct influence, so to say, both upstream and downstream. Um, I think there are a couple of different answers to this. Uh, one is that first and foremost, I think it's important also for strategic reasons and for being a role model that companies that do have great scope three uh, targets, that they actually do their own piece well. 
uh, before, uh, so to say, we begin uh, lecturing other companies how to do it. So it's very important for us to have our scope one and two in place and, and be a front runner there. Then it's easier for us to actually also go out and educate uh, our, our vendors. And you're, you're right, we have extremely many vendors and many companies have that. I mean, we have, we have thousands. And what we're actually trying to do there very specifically is that we're trying to group some of these vendors in different uh, in different groups, depending on how mature they are on their uh, sustainability journey, environmental sustainability journey, and also, uh, of course, how important they are to us, what is our relation with them, how how frequently we interact, and so on and so forth. When we then have that, you know, we we have those groups, then it's easier for us to actually go out and um, and connect with them. And, uh, and establish the, the, the right kind of um, connect in terms of, of helping them lowering their uh, their impact as well, their, their energy and CO2 uh, targets. So we're trying to help them, but in di- different ways, depending on how, how these groups uh, come about. So that's one way we do it. So I think, and I think that has huge promise because there are so many vendors and you can't have a, a one size fits all approach, uh, I believe. But it's also, as you say, it's also, a, you know, it's, it's such a huge area that so you need to have do it in a structured way. But I also think we need, we need to say that as well as, as we need to have, we have these need to have these scale effects. I also think it's important that we actually do showcase impact, that we do show it can be done. Like, and, and it doesn't have to be big projects and be small pilot projects. It's one of the things that my team does really well. It's actually creating small projects that, where we can show, you know, see, we can actually do this. We can actually take this back and we can reuse it or we can remanufacture it or we can whatever we do with it. So, yeah. so that is important as well. Show impact and then scale as, as part of it. But, but also we can't forget that also the, 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 the small piece of actually showcasing that it works is an important driver of change. Absolutely, that's that's great. And um, I mean, I know you had a, a a role in this area at Lego in your previous company. Um, so, and I know you've got quite young children, and are they very disappointed that you don't work for Lego anymore? And now you've joined a water pump company. Not quite so exciting to the kids. No, exactly. No, exactly. I mean, luckily we still have our attic full of uh, of, of Lego. So uh, I've not, I've not run out dry not dry just yet. But it is true. There's uh, of course a uh, different there. I mean, uh, Lego is a is a much bigger consumer brand. So there's of yeah. course that uh, that difference there. And but there are also many other differences. So so all the, and and just on that. And this is the last uh, question I just wanted to ask you. What's the kind of main cultural difference between Lego and and Grinforce, obviously, as you say, completely different companies, but but each company feels different. I know that. Yeah, no, but there are actually, you're right, there are differences, but there, let me just start with maybe a, one similarity, Paul, and that is that it's both Lego and Grinforce's family-owned companies, mm. um, and they're both uh, partly owned by a foundation as well. So there are, there are quite a lot of, in terms of how I believe that privately-owned companies tend to focus more on the on the on the long term, and uh, mm. less on the next quarter, uh, because we don't really have to worry about stakeholders. So I think that's a key 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 similarity there that uh, that is important to, and one of the reasons why I, I find both interesting, both companies very interesting. But of course, you would say Lego has a very different purpose than than Grundfos. So 
their purpose is really learning through play. That, that's what they promote. I find that extremely valuable as well in, a, in, 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 in our world today. But of course, where Grundfos is more rooted in environmental sustainability, Lego is rooted in this uh, learning through play uh, way of thinking. So two different purposes, very, very important both, but you could, you could argue that uh, environmental sustainability is more of an add-on to Lego's purpose than, than really what is rooted in the um, in the company. So that's that's one difference. And I think as someone working within environmental sustainability, it's quite nice that uh, Grundfos has said as a as a kind of like building the purpose from the from the 40s when, when Paul Du Jensen established the company. Then I think another uh, difference is that Grundfos is very engineer driven. You know, I think the company is on a learning journey also to figure out uh, how much do we design for uh, perfection and how much do we uh, do we kind of learn along the way and how much do we do we build and change and build and change? And I think maybe that's more rooted into the Lego uh, design thinking. I think Gonfoss mm. is, is, is also working on that and, and, and getting there. But both companies has a lot of experimentation going on, which is uh, which is interesting. But they do it in, 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 in you know, in, in, in a bit of a different ways. And then, of course, as, as, as I said earlier, also Lego is a big consumer brand. I think a a big part of how Lego influences around the world is via social media and mm. and because people know the brand. We don't, as end users, we don't actually know. I guess most of us don't know what, what name actually is, is on the pump we have in our houses. Uh, so I think Grundfos, more from the beginning, has had to influence also by our organizations and by our uh, politicians and so on. Lego has, you know, just recently began actually being being more political uh, than Grundfos. Uh, so different ways of, of trying to influence um, the public. Well, I mean, I really admire what you've done with your career, Jesper. I've, I mean, we've known each other for a little while. You started off in a workplace role at Lego, moved into sustainability, environmental. And I love the way that your your purpose in life has become your purpose in work. And it sounds to me like you've, you've found your home. I've been working within strategy and leadership for the last 10 years in many different places, especially you know, in different parts of the organization, in Lego in particular, of course. But uh, my last stint uh, within sustainability, environmental sustainability, uh, that was what really caught my my like. This is where I want. This is where I belong. This is where I want to mm. want to want to be at in the next 10, 15, 20 years. So Fantastic. there's definitely now a uh, an intersection between my passion and purpose of life, and then also uh, the, the workplace. So um, yeah, I'm super happy about it. Yes, but. Thank you so much for, for sharing your story, the story of your organization and what you're doing. And it's been great to have you on. My pleasure, Paul. I'm now delighted to be joined in the studio by Alessia Falseroni. Alessia is the executive director and responsible for sustainability and circular economy at the University of Chicago and author of bestseller, The Impact Challenge. Also being joined by Henning Drager. Henning is the Senior Global Sustainability Director at Tax Advisory and Audit Firm, BDO International. Great to have you both here. Um, Alessia, can I just start by asking you for your reactions on what Jesper Ambrosius from, from Grundfos shared with me? 
Well, for me, Paul was really interesting to uh, to hear that he had actually just recently joined the company, mm-hmm. and yet he was uh, put in charge of you know a center of excellence for environmental sustainability at a company that has also just uh, announced a new promise. And that promise, as you also pointed out, I felt it goes way beyond their paying customers. Mm-hmm. And so, hearing you know uh, Jasper really um, look at not just the needs of environmentally focused innovation, but also the need of the entire enterprise culture to move in a way and grow from the quality of engineering, the quality of product design, into understanding, you know, what does it mean doing relentless innovation when you're touching the life of people uh, was actually quite um, quite a bold vision, especially again, when, uh, when seen through the eyes of somebody so new to the organization. So I, I call in him really this uh, idea of a culture of experimentation and almost right. that the center of excellence for environmental sustainability would actually bring that experimentation as part, not just of the customer's relationship, but also the way they distribute their products. It was really interesting. Uh, I had to uh, to pause and reflect on that because, you know, when you are a company like, like uh, Grundfos, right, with such a history, as you also pointed out, why would you change anything? Right. Why would you even consider to moving away from what has been, you know, paying off quite well, you know, for you, even globally? So that was uh, the aspect that I really uh, appreciated the most. And also, um, you know, the idea that um, there is a communication within the organization that is quite different when you're handling uh, manufactured good versus when you're seeing that good as reflective of the impact that it has when he leads leaves your your own plans and he goes mm. in the hands of, of your customers. That was quite quite interesting I found. Yeah and 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 Henning, I mean Grundforce is a really unusual organization because on the one hand you think water pump manufacturer that doesn't really well I don't know what the word is. It, it's quite a, a functional organization. But it but it felt like Jesper was creating quite a different story around the organization. What, 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 what struck you about that? Well, first of all, I have to declare as Danish citizen that uh, Grundfos's mainstay, and I have known even before I joined the sustainability movement for many, oh, many right. years, what they have been doing, and uh, I would consider them most certainly at the top echelon of progressive, openly communicating companies. So really, really proud that they get more of a... Um, a platform because they're not listed, unlike maybe a Nordisk. So it's fantastic to hear them. So two things struck me. First of all, the new brand promise or set of values around this opportunity in every drop. When Jesper talked about the original founder's idea, where they really want to focus on a limited natural resource and what kind of impact that can make across many, many industries and that none of these drops should be wasted. They should be seen as an opportunity. I felt almost like a generational arc had been made, and I'm sure the founder wasn't aware of it, between what he originally wanted to do and what Jesper talked about when he said, The circular economy hits us in two ways. One, ideas, like Alessia was saying earlier, being invited to brought in. I think the removal of existing motors from non-existing pumps being included and thus saving energy, time, money and processes. And two, the entire innovation arc that has also been. If it's driven by engineers 
And yet they allow Jesper and other people like that chief sustainability officer who was also interviewed earlier this year on on another podcast, were saying that this signal, this, this ripple effect across the organization goes inwards and out. And the innovation ability to create new pumps should always go hand in hand with their ability to innovate in terms of sustainability of the product, the retake program to put existing resources into it. That makes Ronfos a very visionary, not perfect, but a very visionary company that really has thought through all the processes in the entire chain. And they probably also know that sustainability, it's a never ending journey, but they're willing mm. to systematize it and walk those steps. And that should be applauded. Yeah. And, and, and let's see, I mean, I suppose what I'm trying to work out is Gronforce, a, a outlier exception. They have a founder who creates the company just after the Second World War and for some reason had the vision that, that sustainability ecology was in its DNA. And I'm thinking about the organizations who don't have that. How do they learn from Grundforce and their story. How do you how do you deal with it when it isn't in your DNA? This is a, a really important um, aspect. Uh, I agree with you, Paul. Especially because what I hear um, in my day to day is a smaller enterprises that are not listed, that are not public, that don't mm. have the year time or even the pressure, you know, or other mm. set of financial stakeholders that come in. Many times are more resourced considering internal capital, you know, people, technology than, than other organizations that are not. And in the case of Groomfoss, we actually hear a very different message. We hear that actually there is, um, as Anin was pointing out, right, a reflection of this feedback that goes, right, from the customers and the communities they touch inwards and obviously takes over on, on the engineering part and asks them to be more experimenting with change and with ideas that makes both economic and environmental sense. So when 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 I think about, you know, as you were pointing out, an ecology um, sort of feature as DNA, now it, it's almost water for them has become a design feature. <laughs> Right. What can you do with water? And mm. and it's interesting because I've always been thinking, okay, but what differentiates the companies that actually don't have this all this external pressure? Um, what what differentiates them in their ability to actually do a lot more with less? Mm. Right. And I actually really believe that is that diversity of thoughts that comes uh, cross functionally, in particular as we are also seeing that there's no such thing as circular economy without diversity, without inclusion, without actually hearing the communities that you serve. And as I was saying before, this idea that I heard from from Jasper of, you know, the promise and the, you know, the end line of their manifesto really going through beyond their customers. Now, maybe again, I'm biased. I sit in New York. <laughs> and so, you know, think about all, all, all the background, right, associated with what ecology is, what environment. There is a continuous, I go day after day with sort of re-education, right, on, even on basic terminology. And then you have companies that actually don't go beyond saying that they will deliver value, but to their customers, customer-focused, customer-centric. And here's a company then instead decide to say, we have a mission with an ambition. Mm. We go way beyond customers will be served as we have always done. 
for over a century. But we will do it thinking about what water is and what water can bring to them. And so all of a sudden, when Jasper was was pointing at, you know, this feedback, I was thinking, wow, what about so many things now we know even you can do with water pumps, like heat pumps, for example, in the U.S. and in very other parts of uh, developed economies where you have, you know, a lot of buildings that would need upgrades. Now heat pumps are becoming, you know, extremely mm. important. And now you have, you know, somebody that produces water pumps and does it, you know, with, with a level of excellence that can all of a sudden become, you know, the enabler of many other changes. Yeah. And, 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 and Henny, what's, what strikes me is that I think, I think Grenforce is not a, a, an outlier example um, but actually a, a, a kind of leading indicator. And actually, once you start to look at your products or services as a scarce resource, as a resource, maybe as a resource that needs to be protected, managed properly, you could apply that same principle. They've applied it to water, um, even though they're a pump manufacturer. Um, you could apply that same philosophy, if you like, couldn't you, in in service organizations or any product? Absolutely. I want to come back to what Alessia said around what founders, or if you are a listed company with a huge shareholding of the original founder or the founder family, it's very interesting to see a lot of research coming out that those private organizations or listed company with big family shareholdings, they actually financially in the medium to long term do better than a fully listed companies or a or or a private company owned by let's say private equity, that's very interesting. We are studying that, uh, looking at what are the attributes of these founders and their employees and management teams and boards to be able to look at how they create value for their stakeholders. And there must be there must be something in the water. I was just about to say <laughs> at Grundfos that really makes this connection between what was it originally set up to do? The pump didn't exist to service the irrigation needs, I believe, to now, and Alessia, great, great and an arch here to the uh, heat pumps and other forms of pumps. How do you evolve your sustainability through the limited resources you have, but if you really track what kind of needs do they serve and what impacts do they have? A bit like when people are saying, we are sustainable now. Yeah, but are you tracking the sustainable impacts of your investments, of your products and your services? That's called impact investing or you know sustainable tracking of your impacts. And many or most of the companies I look at do really not do that. It's more of a one-off quarter by quarter, if you are listed in the Anglo-American world, or like Ronfoss and much more, probably sustainability for them will be, we are going to be around in 100 years and we'll have products that are relevant, we'll have the right mix of people who are doing it, but still with the founder's spirit probably anchored Mm. within. And that's what makes me so excited about the innovation ability of companies which Mm. are not uh, dictated to by lots of shareholders or a few anchor shareholders. Hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, Alessio, I mean, I, I love the, 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 the manifesto that Jesper was talking about, you know, the possibility in every drop. And, and I, and I'm, I'm just kind of wondering how you feel that could be adopted across more organizations, perhaps not ones that are, are private, but ones that are, are, are in the public. 
Well, it's uh, it's interesting, right? When um, when I was um, hearing uh, Jasper read aloud the um, the end line, I felt like um, I had to go back and dig the uh, poem by um, um, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, the one that says, "Water, water everywhere, nor any drop to drink." Mm. Right? Because technically, when when we are looking at what we think of water or uh, you know other natural resources, we think right away out they're finite. And Mm -hmm. so in general, especially in developed markets, right, we have thought of um, access and affordability. But reality is with access and affordability, we don't really necessarily listen to other needs that may be coming up as a result of the use of water. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, what Jasper was pointing out when he was talking about the way they distribute water, not just the way they manufacture the products, but the way their products enable better distribution. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden it came to me this, uh, I don't know how, how uh, accurate it is now or how old it is, but there was a statistic by the water aid that was pointing out that every uh, two minutes uh, there are, you know, uh, children that are, younger than age five that actually died because of water contamination. Mm. So it is a statistic that is not just dramatic, it points out an health issue, but also points out to the ability now mm. uh, through research and engineering and that relentless innovation to mm. understand that water pollution uh, in many respects in our, in our you know developed economies actually is more of a problem than the affordability of water in general. So water is still scarce, but the water that we reuse and when we do you know any uh, circular economy design, we need to think about you know other um, issues that probably when the founders started, I'm, I'm pretty sure when the founders started Grupos, you wouldn't have had the issue of microplastics right in, in water. So yeah. they may have had lead, but not that. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's that's a remarkable consideration, right? Great, thank you. Well, thank you so much, um, Alessia, and thank you so much, Henning. Um, it was fantastic to have you in, and fantastic to um, I much appreciate everything that you've you've shared today. So, here are my three C's to plant based on what we heard today from Jesper and from our expert pundits, Alessia and Henning. Number one, anything is possible. No matter your company or product or service, you can make sustainability an inspiring mission and an uplifting opportunity in your organization. It really doesn't matter what you do as an organization because you can find an environmental and sustainable purpose there. Second seed to plant is that your organization and your people crave environmental change and transformation in their work. So use that energy to your advantage. And the third seed to plant is remember the network effects. What you do not only changes and affects your own organization, but it feeds into supply chains and customer chains, amplifying everybody's efforts. So please subscribe and like what we're doing here so that you can get alerted to each new episode.